that's my first time seeing that. She put that together fast, and it looked good. Uh, ha- happy Friday afternoon, everybody. Uh, it's it's a it's a Monday morning uh, for the three of us. We're we're pre-recording this one for the sake of the holiday season. Uh, and you may have noticed we're we're putting a little bit of a holiday spin on this one. Um, we're welcoming Brian Gillette, who's a, who's a longtime favorite of ours, to come on uh, for the spirit of the first follower, turning five customers into 50. Um, he's going to tell us uh, a little bit about that philosophy. He's going to tell us um, about his story and building businesses, of which he's um, part of the way through another exciting journey. Um, and then he's going to get into to more detail um, about uh, the specifics around um, that philosophy. But uh, if I if I didn't already say it, we're pre-recording. Brian, welcome and hello, everybody. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Yeah. Happy, happy Q4. <laughs> I think, I think there's a... It's I think it's Hanukkah right now as we're, as we're recording. Happy Hanukkah, all. <laughs> Do you Everybody. celebrate Hanukkah, Matt? Uh, only because it's an excuse for a dinner party. Okay, because I was going to say, I know, I know, we've got a, a wide range of uh, of, uh, of cultures at the table, so um, I wasn't sure. Happy Hanukkah! Yeah, happy Hanukkah, man. I wish I could celebrate. I mean, I could just celebrate it. I just feel like I need the right crew to introduce me to how to celebrate Hanukkah right. Then I could just do both. Do you have? Do you yeah, have Laura, Matt. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm about, uh, menorah deep in Judaism, but like the idea of like recounting Exodus, um, is like a little bit beyond my, my depths. (laughs) We don't do the storytelling. Do your kids get excited about the holidays? Um, you know, we do like, uh, solstice and like, um, equinox are like the things I try to focus the kids on to be pretty grounded in like reality. You know, instead of the abstractions we place on top of it, but you know, that's that's my agnosticism speaking. I knew right. I was going to get an interesting answer. I knew, I knew that's awesome. I like that. What do you do to celebrate the solstices? Uh, it's an excuse for a dinner party, man. That's the- all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Note to self: ask more later. <laughs> what about you, Brian? Do you do anything fun for the holidays? You going to see family? Like yeah, it's great. We travel around. I live in LA, so we go to uh, Big Bear, which is like the LA's kind of version of a snowy mountain uh, that's a couple hours away. So we go up there and that's you know cool. do a weekend at at the lake. And then my family's in the Pacific Northwest, so that's where it's like actually kind of cold. But you know, it's funny how I've been in LA now ten, almost eleven years. Went on a walk last night. It was like 62 degrees and I'm like, Oh, I should have brought a jacket. Like I just <laughs> not, I'm not the man I was playing baseball in the rain in flip flops. <laughs> you know, when you're from the Northwest, everything is always, first of all, it's always freaking raining every millisecond of your life. It's raining in the Northwest and it's always cold. And so your definition of cold changes, you know what I mean? Like in LA, we would like, <laughs> we just shut down when it rains the same rain that like they're still playing baseball in in the northwest you know so anyway it's always funny to see how uh how i've california a little bit but that's what we always like to do i love that i have uh i have my grandma's in la and some other family my grandma's uh i guess my aunt's her her sister's family and then my uncle and his uh son live in portland so I have uh, oh. love for those two parts of the, parts right of the world as well. Yeah. And I also play baseball. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. So no, no control today, right, Matt? Little. Well, we, we, you know, we usually geek out on controls. Uh, there's a couple things happening right now. One is that uh, we're running out of CIS controls, although we have a couple more scheduled. So we, we are going to be transitioning into um, NIST's new CSF 2.0 in january um, as much as we can get excited about new security standards i'm excited about this one i'm actually um, a little bit excited about it <laughs> but the other thing is i think we wanted to really create a platform and space to talk about um 
this journey that Brian's been on, which is really like he's going to be recounting his story. But the reality is this is this is the story of anyone who who decides to start a, a venture, starts starts a business. Right. Um, and I think that many of our listeners, um, you know, for today, for the holiday season, let's take off our technology cap and remember that we are um, first and foremost sales and marketing experts. And if we're not, we should be trying. Right. So um, yeah. that's a little business. Sweet. Right. I'll take all that bonus time. <laughs> I'll take it all. And if we have any time left, Zach will teach us all how to roast a Christmas goose. It's true. I've got three or four in the back. And <laughs> so uh, we're we're going to start with a um, – are we going to do like a tiny little intro to theory, Brian? Is that what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Let me talk about the sort of – our sort of ethereal hook for the um, – because you guys asked me what I want to talk about in – uh, for this webinar, the, the the spirit of the first follower, I want to talk a little bit about the first follower principle. And then I thought maybe I would just tell a little bit of the story of of sort of the 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 lens of growing the feel good MSP through this particular context. And then I've got uh, we can we can break down a little bit more probably after that. But yeah, the first follower is not a it's not a concept I invented by any means. There's this really great, really old super lo-fi YouTube video that somebody made for like a business course that I've watched like a hundred times in my life. And I should have, I should have linked it. Maybe I'll, I'll find a link for, for you guys. Luckily we're in this young pre-record world. We, so we, it, it, we did link it. it, yeah. Brian linked it it's in the guys. show description. It's Brian. in the show notes. So what am I thinking? It, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah. There's this great uh, YouTube video where somebody breaks down the concept through this great illustration of they're at like a music festival and there's one guy like shirtless dude in like ripped up corduroy pants dancing in a field and all these other people are just sitting there and then he tells and then it eventually turns into a dance party but he uses the stages of that video to to illustrate the concept of the first follower i watched that i don't know years and years and years and years ago and i kind of became obsessed with this concept because as you said matt like we all need to remember that we're sales and marketing experts maybe even before we're technologists, right? But I would even say, I, I think you could even say that you are a leader before you're an IT professional, if you're running an IT business. And really, this is the concept of how leadership skills can translate to growing a business. Because we're not just growing a stable of customers, but you are, you are building a movement, right? You have, you started your IT business because you, well, let me say it this way. Statistically, many of our viewers started their IT business because they worked at another IT business or maybe multiple and said, the way everybody does this is wrong. It should be done like this, right? And then there she goes and she sets out on her own venture and goes, I'm just going to do it right. I'm just going to do it the way that everybody is. Nobody else is seeing it. I'm seeing it. And that's that's the American dream right there. That's why so many of us started our venture because we felt this strong this strong pull towards kind of telling our own story and leading our own charge, which means you are a leader. CEOs, your founders, you're a leader. So you're not just leading your team. You're also leading your customers. But the way you lead your customers, the way you lead your team are very different. So uh, the concept of first follower is if you want to, you know, John Maxwell always says a leader without any followers is just somebody out on a walk, <laughs> right? You have to, you have to get people to follow the vision. What are, what is Fort Mesa doing? That's so disruptive and unique in the, in, I mean, and you guys had a compelling message. That's where we met early on Matt a couple years ago. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was my journey, right? Was yeah. it wasn't happening in this, this market segment, you know, the way it needed to happen and, you know, put our flag up the pole, right? Like we're going to make and it happen. You guys, yeah. So we connected via LinkedIn and you were the first person who I ever heard actually explained to me how somebody could turn Slack hours into huge billable hours or could as a service their Slack hours in a way to make people actually compliant and actually put their money where their mouth is. It's like, holy crap, this is amazing. So then I got you guys customers because I find I got it. I was one of your followers, if you will, right? So the concept of the first follower is you really need to focus on find the core people who can connect to the DNA of what you're doing. What is the simplest? most pure childlike form of what you're trying to create with your company there are people who will be who will understand that and it's almost no one by the way 
because it's another way of saying it's very one out of a hundred, one out of a thousand people are really tuned to be first followers, early adopters. They want to be there before it's mainstream, right? Those people are who you want to start with. You don't start with last followers, late adopters. You start with early adopters. And then your job as a leader is now to nurture the first followers in a way where they will help you become the leader of a movement rather than a person with a good idea, right? You're basically synergizing the momentum of what you can do for them and then making it easier for late followers to jump on board. And th this is with di different terminology, but this is the same story that you hear out of, out of Silicon Valley, right? That's been created all, all this digital disruption, right? You start with those early adopters. And then I think they use the terminology of crossing the chasm once you're ready to bring your followers, you know, into the mainstream. Right. But um, this is this is how you create a new a new movement, right? That's right. This is how you, you do it. It's interesting. I was listening to uh, to a podcast recently, and, and they were talking about how new technology becomes mainstream, and they were equating it to the financial economics of it, less of the mind share, which we're going to talk about. But essentially, it was, you know, the first big screen TVs were really expensive. But the the people that were able to afford them, the first followers in that yeah. you know, regard, were able to buy that at that cost, which drove the price down, which made other people able to get on board. My head jumped to that when you said um, the the first followers makes it easier for the next followers to follow, um, right. and that's uh, that's another shot of that showing up uh, in different spaces in the world. That's interesting. So this is 100%. pretty abstract. How, what's uh, how do we how do we make this less abstract? Yeah, I'm happy to. So I think. <laughs> I'll, I'll just make this this pivot so that it make so I make sure it's clear because I know I know these MSP CEOs are already thinking about like oh what agent should I put in my stack that I'm getting them to adopt I'm not talking about your product at all I'm actually talking about the narrative right the value proposition that you give I'll say it this way the value that someone understands is the only tangible value right. Right. In our industry, the value that they understand is the only tangible value. And MSP owners are famous for forgetting this because we say, I've got the best stack in the world, but nobody buys my product. Like, yeah, maybe your city's saturated. Maybe you're just a douche. And just so nobody wants to buy your product, right? It has nothing to do with your intrinsic value. Well, I'm a blah, 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 and I'm a Cisco certified. Nobody cares. What are you doing for them? Right? That's that's the story. Because you helping them is actually equipping them to go to the next chapter of their story. Right? But sometimes we forget and we make these followers about us. So the principle, the, the, uh, a final bullet, a final um, punctuation here is that the first follower is more important than the leader in a movement. The most important per person in a movement is the first follower, not the leader, right? So um, I'll, I'll just tell my story a little bit. I think it's going to help explain um, some of what I mean. So when I started this, this is not the first business I started. The first business I started, I never, I never organized, but my first business was in fifth grade. Um, <laughs> I, you know. I, I have How old is story, fifth grade? Remind for me. another day. <laughs> what is that, like 10? eight, nine, I was nine or 10. I started selling candy. Um, it was awesome. So I didn't have articles. Okay. I didn't have a board, but I was slinging candy. Um, <laughs> I had it all figured out anyway. So I've, but I've started many businesses in my life and I've built, a, I've built many more other businesses that weren't mine. Frankly, I've made a lot of people millionaires before I became a millionaire. Um, and the first beginning of feel good MSP for me was I realized, okay, what, what, what is that? What is not out there that needs to be out there? My opinion and my perception of the channel was when I was building my MSP, even though I had a great sales strategy, I wanted to pull in some like gasoline on the fire, but I was going out and I was not finding 
sales support that I personally could feel good about and put my name behind in the channel. I couldn't find it. Now that I'm not, I'm not even really talking about prospecting as a service, which is another thing. It's not what I do. What like what feel good MSP does is sales strategy, training, implementation, accountability, where you can create sale revenue operations and revenue systems and then insource them and then do it in a way where the owner can do it until they need to put in a new salesperson, et cetera. I couldn't find that when I was an MSP and the ones I could find, I personally didn't want my name associated with because it felt like that, like pre Clinton era style of sales that was just like super aggressive, really fuddy. And even if you say it's not FUD, if you're still scaring people, it's still FUD, no matter what you call it. It's like, uh, that type of sales, Brian, to me, it, it it's almost like it's like manipulation through words. It's like chess with your words. And the yeah. other person's like, okay, you won the sale, but I hate you. You know? Exactly. Chess is a perfect way to like a lot of people use will relate it to game theory, but game theory is not, I think it's it's super reductive of what game theory is. But it's what I call the adversarial sales complex. This is what I'm talking about in Rejection Con next week. Uh, I mean, what I talked about two weeks ago in Rejection Con. Um, um, <laughs> I love it. No, it's hilarious. Keep going. That's awesome. Um, it's, the adversarial sales complex is the core belief that we're competing with our customer and that one of us has to lose in order for a sale to transact, right? Um, it doesn't make sense. So... That was what, that was the, that was this sort of genesis of feel good MSP. I'm like, if, can I help, can I show people that this is like, that this is just fundamentally stupid and that there is a way better way out there. So my first year is what I call finding and grinding. Like I started at sales navigator and I made lists of MSPs and then I picked up my phone and I called them. This is the simplest version of how you start any business, right? Ask, like, listen to any Mark Cuban story. He always started like that. When you started your candy business, were you door to door on the first slide? I was desk to desk in oh, fifth grade. Yeah. Oh, so a lot of people don't answer the phone these days, Brian. But um, mm -hmm. I know that um, sometimes when I, you know, sometimes when that email goes into a black hole, I know I pick up the phone and people answer, right? So, yes. uh, so where are you getting these phone numbers? Like, you just like, I, if, here's how I did it. Google Sheet on one dot on one desktop, Sales Nav on the other desktop. I pull up their website from their LinkedIn. I go to the website and look at their toll-free number. I would copy and paste it into my spreadsheet. I have a lead. I'd call them. That was it. You want to hear what I said? I said, hey, my name's Brian. How you been? Uh, fine. Listen, you don't know me. I'm calling you out of the blue, but I'm calling to invite you to a virtual event I'm running for MSPs next week. If you give me 30 seconds, I'll tell you what it is, how much it costs, what you get out of it. And if, if you're not interested, we, at the end of that, we can hang up. So that personal approach that you, you're talking about, right, in that outbound call, yeah, they still work, right? And it's way oh, different yeah. than those blind calls that most of us get all day, right? Right. Uh, I mean, what like I just at least they're dealing with a human. Yeah. And I, I didn't have a script. I, I wasn't reading off anything. I was, in fact, one of the things I oftentimes do is leave my iPhone on speaker on my desk on purpose. So it doesn't sound too, too clean. Mm. So it sounds like a person I've made cold calls. I'm not kidding. I've made cold calls while driving on purpose. <laughs> I use my Bluetooth, everybody. I'm, I'm not a crazy person, but it's like, Hey, this is so and so, and you hear my blinker on, and they're like, "What the hell?" It's working hard, man. I'm I'm in the middle of something. I also used to use the I, I only have a minute. This is my Q4 hack. I'm such a I'm such a rabbit chaser right now. But my Q4 hack is on a cold call when you call them and go, "Yeah, how you been?" Blah blah blah. Listen, I only have a minute, but I was gonna just run this thing by you, and you get ahead of them telling Let's you how busy you are. I like that. That's funny. I'm definitely not going to steal that. Well, but that, but that's the reality because you have to make a bunch of these calls, right? I mean, this yeah, is right. you're, you're not going to you're not going to call one person to get your first follower, right? And they it's go, all, yeah, it's also go, true. another time, and I go, okay, uh, this was sort of my slot. So, is there a specific time that I can try to hit you for? And then you just get them to schedule it instead of just making them feel like they are entitled to you just sitting around like a puppy dog waiting for them to be free. 
anyway, um, yeah, cold calls is how I started. And one in eight people I put on that spreadsheet would come to that workshop. Just so you know, one in eight. Now it was usually about the third or fourth dial to get them. Uh, and what's sad is you do you with a small MSP, you hit two for sales and you get the owner. Um, but yeah. most of the time I would just, my theory was being proven. You hit two for sales and it's like, thank you for calling super tech where we love people leave a yeah. voicemail. And what I wanted to say was, imagine if I was a sale right now, yeah. <laughs> leaving a voicemail in your dumb, weird robot voice. You almost maybe could have said that. Imagine I know. If I was, you, like, I, you probably not have 0% success rate on that strategy. I know, right. But but the truth is a lot, MSP, a lot of the smaller MSPs are so jaded. The, the sales calls are all vendors. It's like Cinex again, trying to get you to buy stuff. Yeah. Whoever, sorry, I shouldn't have called that a vendor, but. Oops. You did. Uh, or Somebody insert insert any vendor here, right? Yeah, yeah right. insert any vendor here, including me, right? I'm a vendor selling on their sales line. So anyway, so I'd call them, I'd invite them to this workshop. And I was inviting them to workshops because I wanted to prove myself to them. I'm willing to sing for my supper for a new customer. Like, I'm yeah, going to help you, you know a bunch you before yeah. you do anything for me. And that, that doesn't make me all, doesn't make me sad. That's That's my job. Right? So... So you got people into these workshops or yeah. workshop, the first workshop, second workshop. I think you've done these more than once now, right? Yeah. Um, I've run like 20 of them now. So how, but how did you find your followers? Like that they're, you know, not everyone's going to kind of follow you after a workshop, right? Sure. So they go through the workshop and I'm not, I'm not just looking for people who buy, but I'm looking for people who get it. So I would start the workshop with my most polarizing opinions by design so you 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 can build a workshop specifically to filter out the psychographics of the audience and i'd lose somebody on day one but I, that was the whole that was the point is get the people who don't get it to leave right don't waste your time <laughs> yeah and, and so i'm a waste of their time i want to ask you a question because we're we're talking about this the three of us all have been in business and understand um, the importance of, of relationship management and people and, and understanding that tell, tell, talk about why you want to filter out people. You might have people that are watching this that are saying, well, well, Brian, you filtered out some of your first five followers. Why would you do that? That's go a really through, important, go through that. That's a really important question. So, it's all about keeping the end in mind. I'm trying to I'm trying to build a movement. What what is moving and where is it going? These are the questions you should know the answers to before you go out and start trying to whip people into a frenzy to follow you around. Because otherwise, all of a sudden it looks like an anarchist rally if you just get a bunch of people together and they all have a different version of what's going to be happening there, right? But what binds people together is a common goal, not common in, not even common interests, not even commonalities, but people who want the same thing or who are going the same direction. You see what I mean? But if we're all going different directions, we just look like Union Station. But if we're all walking the same direction, we look like a movement, right? So I need to know they're going where I'm going or they want to go where I'm going. And if they don't want to go where I'm going, they're, they can't be one of my first followers, right? my first disciples, if I can say it that way, like get these people who, who understand the core DNA of what I'm trying to do. So the wrong fits. What's funny is a lot of them come back and buy from you later because they're not first followers. They're late followers or, or second, or I don't know. I don't second know. Or third, right. They need, they yeah. need a bunch of social proof. Fine. Give that to them, but we'll get into that later. They, they don't want a guy with no testimonials. They don't want a guy who's grind, whose first event was on Eventbrite. They don't want that. I should say, by the way, this, I don't think I've ever shared this publicly, but you know, my, my first workshop I ran was a, was a major flop and it was not for managed services. So I came back to the MSB industry after a year of consulting, doing some other stuff with other businesses. And I was like, I was debating like, man, I love MSPs, but like I wanted to, I was trying some things out after I had quit my job as a VP of sales. So I ran another one and I was targeting female owned professional services businesses. And I ran a workshop that 
I won't get into now. I promoted it on Facebook. I had some ads. I made some videos and I had, and it was free. I think that one was free. And I had like five people show up, you know, and I made an offering out of some of the courses I had already uh, recorded and stuff. And I got, and I made $0 on it. And it was like a month of like calling everybody I know. I mean, it was a pretty public effort, right? Made no money. So then I was like, okay, I, I learned a lot from that. I recorded two ads. I was staying in an Airbnb for the summer, recording ads on this random Airbnb couch, put them on LinkedIn, paying 14 bucks a click. I had like a $300 budget. It was gone in like two days and cold calling. And so I made my second one called the million dollar MSP challenge. That's what I called it. And I ran it in July of 2021. Six people registered. I charged money for it too, $27 or $67 for a VIP ticket and you got an extra hour with me, which meant for $67, it was five days, two hours a day. You got 10 hours of training from me for $67. Just to be clear, I'm a $500 an hour consultant, right? So I couldn't really be giving this away for anything less, but I gave it, that's what I did. Six registrations, five people showed up, three of them bought my program and I made 10,000 bucks in four days of the event. I sold from the event, I sold one to many presentation. And that was the gen genesis of what th then went on to become a much more expensive and much more comprehensive offering later. But it was very clear what you're getting. And a lot of the narrative of the pitch was even built around the people in that room. What do these so, people want? So back up a second. So you did this twice, right? The first time it, it, it didn't work or you, you didn't continue. And the second time it did. Did you just get better? Was this a different ICP? Was a different <laughs> ICP. Profile? Different. Yeah. The only thing that changed was I went from trying to do female-owned professional service, B2B professional services to MSPs in California. That was the difference the second time. I want MSP owners in California. This is what I can help you do. So I just got way more specific. Yeah, I know. I, know, um, I think a lot of our viewers, um, they're living this adventure right now of trying to figure out how do I find my customers, right? And I think the first time is to find the, the first thing they need to do is define what what their what customers are looking for, right? And if yeah. if, if they're not showing up, maybe they're looking for the wrong customer. Um, yeah, or you're looking for so every customer, right? Like, who can you help? This is the question. Who do you have hands-on experience improving the quality of their life? Is it doctors or lawyers? If it's doctors, but you hate doctors, like, look, you've got the experience. Go to therapy and get over your doctor issue and then sell to doctors. Because you can't just decide that you're valuable for somebody who you're not. So I would say, who do you actually have experience helping, right? And so for me, it was MSPs. I grew my MSP very successfully. So to be completely honest, when I left my MSP, I was like, I don't know if I ever want to go back. That was a couple of months, you know, when you quit, when you leave a job, it's like, I don't know if I want to go back to the channel, but then I, you know, I got over that. I dealt with my crap, my frustrations that I, you know, I projected on the whole industry because they were my issue. I got over it and now I'm, I can't, I can't imagine not being in the channel now, but yeah, I got more specific. Um, but I just wanted to share that story that I feel like a lot of times, especially like sales, people like me who talk about sales all the time, you don't always hear us say all the stuff that didn't work. But a lot yeah. of it doesn't work. We, we tried a lot of stuff that didn't work. We still try stuff that doesn't work, right? We're always trying to figure out what works, what works right. better. I'm what, still trying stuff too. I'm constantly changing and growing. And all you can do is make your best product today. You can't make the best product in the world. You're, you're, yeah. not, you're not good enough to make the best product in the world. But yeah. you don't have to make the best product in the world. That's a, that's a sour pill to swallow. But once you realize that, you'll be okay. I think I want to just tack on to that sour pill, though. I, and I don't know if it's as sour. It feels sour because everybody wants to be that special. You know, we all want to be special, right? Wouldn't it be great if we all had the opportunity to be special? But the reality is even those of us who are seen as special did not do it by themselves. You know, yeah. you've got uh, Steve Jobs, right? Like he's seen, he's regarded very highly, but he had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people helping make the vision come true. He didn't, he didn't 
do it all himself. Oh, he was right? a vision salesperson. That was his. That was his unique skill, right? He didn't actually do anything. He had a he had a unique skill that happened to put him in the forefront. But the reality is, we're a community based people. Yeah, we got this far because we we got together and we said, "Hey, let's stop trying to kill each other and let's work together." And yeah. the people that you know, the organizations that are the best ones are the ones that understand that the best. Anyway, keep going, Brad. I would even double down on that and say, Steve Jobs was an amazing leader who was great at making followers, almost cult-like followers, right? They were mate. Apple has always been good at that. That's why you can buy an iPhone, which objectively has inferior technology to the Samsung Galaxy of the year before. And every, and if you, if you have a green text message, everybody wants to murder you, right? Did you see that they did away with that? Did they? Are, are in the process of doing away with it, and it's funny because I saw I saw an article from uh, Apple being like, "Hey, you know what? Everybody can have blue now." And then, like well, two weeks it's... later, yeah, two weeks later, I saw an article that was like, "Android now able to able to cover it or like fix it." Yeah, so, like, no, Apple it... got out with the marketing before you know they could they good they, guy. They're losing their their battle in the EU. It's they they gave up in the EU. So at like the EU is like, you can't do that. And they were like, they fought it for a while, but like, what's the, we'll talk about it later. I'm kind of curious. <laughs> okay, so you went, you did this workshop. It didn't work. You did another workshop. It worked. Yeah. Uh, it's because you targeted different, but did you, how, how did you get a bunch of people to show up? Same thing. Cold call. Like cold call, cold call. Cold That's call. it. A cold call people. And I mean, the first guy, the second guy I talked to who showed up said, thank you so much for calling me. Because I offered him something he wanted. Now, if you cold call well, they will thank you for calling them. Yeah. I did a whole episode on Paul Green about this um, on Paul Green's podcast. So after you've got that, like the first workshop, I had three people. So now I have three people who are hanging on my every word, and I've got zero margin for error when I'm this immature, right? Um, so my next step was serve, serve, serve. Serve these people like it's my job because it is. If you've got five customers right now, which it's crazy how often this happens, we end up in this position where we wanted to be somewhere else, or we had an expectation of where our business would be, or, you know, margins are really razor thin and we're struggling. So maybe an MSP, if you're listening, you've got 10 or less customers and you are feeling yourself. If you, if you're honest and think about it, you might feel resentment towards your customers. This is super common. Almost every company I know. Yeah, if they're the if they're unprofitable or they're taking up all your time or whatever. Yeah, right. Or and the truth is, I could go into why it's probably your. You know, if people never honor your boundaries, it's probably because you don't set good boundaries, right? Like it's probably you. You probably have at least fifty percent of the fault in almost every conflict in your life, right? But um, that's not what I'm talking about here. It's like you need a chiropractic adjustment to the way you're perceiving your first followers. These people are your disciples. They are going to make you a leader if you position them to be first followers. If you actually make it your job to take care of those people, they will in turn take care of you, trust me, because first followers attract second followers, right? Like how many people are willing to go for a customer, a company who has zero testimonials, zero reviews? So you actually said something. You were you said uh, you're, you're you're the person who's a first follower isn't looking for the the event bright situation or or I can't remember they're, exactly. No, they, yeah, they're fine they're, with it being. They are fine, but the second follower isn't. They're not looking. Most right. people aren't. They that want the they want proof and they want badges on your wall and because they don't know how to buy and they're not conf confident being first followers. They may be so, I, and I wrote something down. I wanted to come back to. We we transitioned into a, a, a great conversation related to that, but I, I wanted to bring it back to what I believe is why those second, third, fourth, fifth followers aren't first followers, and it's I think because they're highly risk averse, or in a situation where they have to be more risk averse, whether sure. it's their budget is such that they 
have to make sure that the training they spend on is going to yield or whether it's right. the time or uh, the social aspect where they don't want to be, well, I don't want to be seen this way. There's a bunch of different reasons, but it all comes back to risk, risk of being judged, risk of losing money, risk of yeah. wasting time. It's all fear and risk. And those first followers are ready to jump off the cliff with you. Yeah. Or, or, or the, yeah, they've got a second follower doesn't necessarily mean it's a less mature buyer. In many cases, the, the buyers you want are the ones who can't join you until you're proven. You're not going to get a publicly traded company if you have no social proof, right? Because that CEO could lose their job if you fail them, right? So it would be immature. It would be unwise of them to be a first follower to your little venture. But how many times do we go after when we start, we go, I want to start an MSB. Maybe I'll just try to call like Carnival Cruise Lines and I'll do all their technology. Like, no, you won't. You won't. Or maybe I'll just get a 400 seat whale. No, you won't. A good 400 seat company is not going to hire you. You don't have a following yet. That would be stupid of them, right? If they did fire, hire you, that would, to me, that'd be a little bit concerning. Unless, of course, you had a pre-existing relationship. And we'll get a comment from the one lady here who knew, who started with a 400-seater. And vaya con Dios, I, I believe in you. Um, but I'm just saying. Home run hitter. Barry, bonds it the, up. Yeah, the more mature, the, the more evolved buyers you want are the ones who need a movement in order to jump on board. So your job is not to try to get fifth followers. It's get first followers. And then keep them as followers, which means serve your ass off. Make their life as good as you can. I made myself available as much as I could to my first five customers. I sent them encouraging texts periodically. Hey, Oleg, I want you to know you're killing it this week. No ulterior motive other than for him to succeed. Because I knew early on, I can't afford to sell a sales training program that doesn't make people money. You can't afford to sell a managed service stack that doesn't make people's life easier and decrease their chance of getting a cyber event. You can't afford it, right? No matter how well your lawyer protects you on the documentation, your reputation cannot afford for you to be a bad vendor for them. So you've got to be amazing. And that's your job. Your job is to pour yourself out for these people, but you want to do so in a way that creates opportunities for them to actually tell your story, which means give them a story worth telling, right? So uh, I, you know, I talk to a lot of MSPs that are in that pouring stage, Brian, and some of them feel like or are actually pouring down a bottomless pit, right? Um, so how do how should they evaluate when that's going to come back and and net rewards and when it when it maybe isn't? Because that's that's an important distinction, right? Like, yeah, for sure. There's that's great. I think there's three there's three possible answers. The first one, though, I'll I'll, I'll just throw away as a quick caveat that um, it could very well be a mindset issue that the MSP. It could be a toxic perception that the mindset's carrying that's this like no one ever appreciates me. If you have that core belief, then you think you're pouring things down. But very oftentimes, the value you're giving is usually slighted anyway. So, but I'm gonna I'm gonna dismiss that and say you're you're doing genuine help for your customers. It could be it could then become a mindset issue for your prospect, which which could tell me that either they are not a good psychographic for you or they're not a good demographic for you. They're probably not the type of customer you want to reproduce. Right and now, I understand that we have to start wherever we can start, especially if you quit your job to do this thing, you need the revenues, you some, you're going to need a customer that's not a perfect fit. I bet about 500 on having a perfect customer that comes in. About half of my customers are right where I want them in demographic, psychographic, and use case. But about half of them are have at least one of those three pillars of my ICP. And that's fine. That's, and one day I'll turn those people away. That's a that's an excellent rate, actually, because I think a lot of people get saddled with customers that none of them are their ICP. They don't even know what their ICP is because they've brought in a right. random collection of customers that um, collectively don't have any reproducible traits. Like there's not, right. there's not, they have, not, they might have 20 customers. And if they look at them and said, which customer would I want 10 more of? They can't find one. Right. That's exactly right. So, so if you're early doors and you're, tr you're pouring all this value down these big bottomless holes and nothing's coming back and your customers are ungrateful. The problem is 
You should always assume the problem is your fault because that's the only way you can take any action to correct it. You should always assume it's your fault about in life. Just assume it, some measure of responsibility. Because if it's not, you can't control that. And, and if yeah. you can control, the only things you can control are pieces that could be your fault. That's the right. only way to look at it. So if you're in this, if you're in this, like, well, you don't get it, Brian, my, my city is saturated. IT isn't what it used to be. People are cheap. This is all, this is toxic trash. You need to stop saying, I need you to do me a favor to every listener, remove this excuse from your entire lexicon. My city is saturated. I mean this with all the Christmas love in the world. Stop saying that because I would be, it would be tragic if you had an excuse that was so valid you never grew as a business or as a person. That would be tragic, wouldn't it? So give it up. I almost said the F word. Just give it up. You're allowed. We allow that on here. Okay. But we so, don't have to worry about the FCC here. That's right. Okay. Um, so, okay. Um, it, the reason that you're pouring value down a bottomless pit is because of this. You didn't have a definition of success going into this engagement. Matt, to answer your question, this is what I should have said two, five minutes ago. When you start with a customer, you want to start with a super clear value proposition. I'm going to help you go from this to this and make it tangible, right? Not create thing, create efficiency, synergy. That's all nice stuff for the website. But if it's ill-defined or if it's not definable, your customer will have no way of knowing when they crossed that chasm, when you actually help them through their transformation because they don't know what they're trying to transform into. So tell them, I'm going to go from this to this. My value was within six months, you'll be doing a net new logo a month. That's what I give you. So you should be in 18 months. You should have a minimum of 12 logos when you've met me minimum. That's what I help you do. New MRR every month guaranteed, right? So now we know if, if I either did it or I didn't do it. And that's what's scary to people is they go, well, I don't want to make these promises. Well, that's why nobody believes you because you never make you never make any statements. If you're not willing to make a promise, so there's some there says something about that, right? Like, Brian, if you said to me, can you meet me here at this time? And I'm like, well, well, I don't know. You're like, this guy's not going to meet me there, right? right. He's not going to show up. And if I... Well, feel inside like i can't say yeah i'll meet you there then there's some part inside of me that questions whether or not i think i can meet you there yes you know what i mean and 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 it's, it's only a matter of time before i stop going to lunch with you because i go he'll never commit to being there or not being there he can't meet me there yes so so a, ahead, a lot of msps are focused on the stack right selling this the stack of value, right? Products and services together that the customer consumes and they're better off for it, right? But I, I think, I think what you're saying is having a better st stack isn't enough. Like the stack needs to achieve something, right? Like it yeah. needs to actually fulfill a business goal for the customer that's that's specific, so that's that right. you know when you've achieved it, right? Right. Exactly right. You're a general contractor. Your stack is your hammer, is your tool belt. You don't tell people, you don't sell houses by showing them your tool belt. <laughs> so look how great my hammer is. Do you see? We're going to make I've, some comedy sketches. I have the best hammer. That is and they're funny. like, I don't care. Why are you showing me this? And you go, because this is the, look how valuable. The wall, baby. Look at this thing. Look at this. Look at this drill. <laughs> no. You show them what you're going to build using your tools. And you say, Imagine you and your family having breakfast in this nook. You're not talking about how you, where you source the crown molding from and all that stuff. Nobody cares, dude. Talk about it through their lens. So your value can't just be like, we'll have blank and blank and blank and, and you know, you'll have whatever, whatever. Like talk about what their life is like when you've done your job. That's value. Okay. I call it the, so what rule you can look at any value proposition on your website and then underneath it, go to a whiteboard and write that value and then write the words, so what? And then fill your whiteboard with why that value matters. And then guess what? Everything you wrote down there, that's what you need to just mad libs in. That's the real value for them. Make sense? Mm -hmm. um, that's how you do it. So 
even compliance. Okay, you're HIPAA compliant. Did you guys just see that article? So we just got slapped with like a $400,000 fine. Uh, there's a lot more enforcement going on the last few the last few years. But yeah, about time. I... About time. Anyway, um, I'm all over the rails. So serve, serve, serve. That's what I was all do all about at the beginning. How do I make these people successful? And how do I without setting any dangerous, like unscalable precedents in terms of like my product? What do I do? So there was a, many times when I wanted to go above and beyond. And so I could do so in a way letting them know not to become entitled to a certain access to me, right? There is a way of doing that. Um, a lot of times customers are, or MSPs are going to be hearing me going, no, Brian, because they, I already do this. They text me at three in the morning and I answer every time, but you're bit embittered about it because there's a difference between going above and beyond and having no boundaries. You know what I mean? Like you can do so in a way where they actually still feel grateful for the focus because you went, yeah, this is not normally something that I can sustain. But I understand how important this is. And I happen to have a free spot because something just canceled. Let me call you back in 15 minutes and let's just bang this thing out. Right. If you just learn how to communicate, that will reframe their the way they perceive the value where they won't feel entitled and you won't feel overrun and, and bitter. Well, I, and the other I want to just people. So I, I grew up in the restaurant industry, so I've dealt a lot with folks that um are focused immediately on what they're focused on because they're having to move quick. You know, I mean, imagine a, a waitress or a waiter, right? I got to get to where the food is and get the food where the food's got to go. Like that's what they have to accomplish and they're dodging people and they're singularly focused. If you, as, as a seller or a manager for that matter, come into a situation and you're not considering what that other person is thinking about or focused on when you then go to try to communicate with them what you want them to do need them to do or why they might do something else if you don't have that frame of what's happening in there you might be speaking another language to them in, in regards to what you what you want to accomplish um, and then that can create for some uncomfortable uh, interactions as well. So taking that patience of who am I dealing with and and what do they understand or where are they coming from is really important from the sales and management perspective, in my opinion. Mm. So back to your story, Brian, you you found your ICP, I yeah. think um, you uh, Pretty quickly, right? Because you tried something and it didn't work. You tried something like significantly different, right? You found your ICP. Yeah. You created value for these people, um, and then you 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 doubled down, right? You yeah. tripled down, right? Like really create that value when you now that you knew where it was, right? Right. Now that I know, yeah, where are these people? And of course, I did create an ICP, which is a living document for me. Like I, I add to it almost weekly to the psychographics. Every time somebody in, I'm on a sales call with says something that I've never heard before, I write it down. And those are usually my best LinkedIn posts. It's like a direct quote from an actual customer because who knows your customer better than them, you know? Hmm. So, uh, yeah, test, you sort of like, once I, once I know who am I targeting, who am I helping, how am I helping them? Uh, and then I did some split testing, of course, along the way. This wasn't magic, like... Okay, do what sort of workshop topics do people want? I did some on break fix conversion, which I was like, the meat, I thought that was going to be super valuable, but it's so hard that nobody wanted to learn how to do it. You know, they, everybody wants a pill. So uh, then I did one on lead gen called lead gen transformation. Lead gen transformation was interesting. Tons of people showed up, but nobody wanted to actually do the next step because everybody was looking for a silver bullet, but nobody wanted to like, in that particular round of workshops, nobody wanted to like drop roots, try, put their, you know, put their back into it and build a system. They just wanted me to give them leads. So they were not the right fit for me. So, you know, what I do now, if you look at my website, my workshops, every word is really meticulously thought through because, because of this is how you build a business. This is what every MSP should be doing. Uh, the, the offering continued to mature, of course. So like, here's a sobering truth, right? Like your offering is not as good as it's going to be in five years. Hopefully if things go well, it is not as right now, if things are going well, 
you are currently selling the worst version of your product you'll ever sell. Agreed? I mean, that that presumes that someone is going to continually test and 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 riff, right? But there, there, there are lifestyle MSP owners out there that haven't changed a thing in years. And guess what happens, right? Yeah, nobody buys from you. And that's this is why. Because you you think you can sell them a stack. It's just not it's just not compelling enough, right? Um, so, so no, it's not that the market's changed. It's that you haven't changed. That's the problem. See, split testing for you looked like a different workshop, right? Or mm -hmm. uh, maybe a different intervention for an MSP. What would this what would this look like? Is this like different different bundles, different pricing and packaging, different value messaging? What is? That? I actually wouldn't even think that. I think that you know what they need, right? Like I didn't change the way I teach sales because people didn't get it necessarily. You know what I mean? Like, or I'll say that another way. My sales philosophy isn't going to change just because I showed it to somebody who didn't want to buy it. My sales philosophy is is a 15 years long sort of- It's who you are. It's a part of you. It's a part of me. And it's it's it was forged in the crucible of failure. Like it's stronger than all of us. You're, you know technologically what they need. What you don't know how to do is explain it to them in a way that they'll care about. So your split testing should really be on the narrative. It shouldn't be on the stack. Put Build the right stack, but maybe you don't need to go agent by agent in your sales presentation. Maybe that's your problem. Maybe you need to yeah, play the so what game. Right? That's a really important point. I mean, I, I don't know how many MSPs I've seen. They're starting out, and the first thing they do is they make a pricing grid, and what goes on that pricing grid are all their agents and their stacks. And they're like, oh, here's the five different plans. And yeah. they get these agents or those agents and those agents, and then they go out to the customers and no one wants to buy anything. Imagine if, uh, think about it this way. Imagine you went to a restaurant and their menu was a grid and column A, row one was cilantro and everything that had cilantro and it had a check mark. And then there was pricing points based off of the tiers of the food you got and you had by, and then, oh, extra for it to be flame broiled. There's a $2 upcharge per ounce. <laughs> per ounce. <laughs> Right, but that's how that's how we're explaining. Yeah. Instead of saying, "Look at this one little sentence, mouthwatering paragraph that says, wow, experience the life-giving fusion of Thai and Caribbean in one explosive experience.' Hell yeah! yeah. It's it's worth Lord noting. God. It depends on your ICP, right? Because as an MSP, some there are customers out there because they're informed buyers and they have an IT department, right? Sure. And they're used to like digging into data sheets and and like they actually want to see it that way, right? But that's that's far and you know far and few, right. I would say, right? But I would I would buyers. also say that that's going to be your supplementary material. That's that's going to be to helping them rationalize post emotional decision, right? Because we want them to emotionally buy the product and then rationally buy the product. So you don't start with rationale and then try to build emotion later. It doesn't work that way. That's not how the human brain works. So I would agree with you. I think the point is though that even that person. I'll say it this way. Even the most analytical person has something that they want out of this exchange, right? And the thing that they want, I should be able to articulate in a sentence. I should be able to say, yeah. I help you achieve goal and avoid constraint and get away from pain. And maybe yeah. their goal is having the most objectively valuable MSP partnership. And so I could say, I can make sure that on paper, we are the best MSP option for you. And I can make sure that you avoid getting into those sort of flatline partnerships with people who don't know where you're trying to go. And here's how we do it. Insert graph. Yeah. So e even in those, even in those situations where you're dealing with a technical buyer, right. That knows every little bit that you're selling, right. Yeah. You don't need to act like a catalog because if they wanted to buy from a catalog, like they could go to CDW, right. That's right. Um, you're not going to, you're not going to beat a big distributor on price. Who's got more pricing leverage than you. You need to, come up with that unique value that you can provide that person right yeah right and this is the part you can't shortcut this is it's, this is why i this is why i want to talk about first followers if you're building your business like you're building a movement you have to know what your followers want why are they following you where are they going what do they want these are things that you've got to know before anybody will follow you so you should be asking yourself things like what does my customer want out of an msp if you've never asked a pers a prospect or a customer, what do you want out of this relationship? Then it's no wonder that you keep saying things that no one cares about, right? 
ask them what they want. And then whatever they say, write it down. And then ask yourself, is this something makes sense? Is this something I can scale and, and sort of send out? So a lot of the verbiage I use didn't come from me. That's what makes a great copywriter is a copywriter who knows who their reader is. So my best copy is verbatim pulled from some of my other, some of my prospects or customers. See what I mean? So, so, so someone finds their ICP, they make them really happy. They make that first follower really happy. Um, yeah. Then how do they, how do they capture, how do they capture? I, I, like, I know, I know we have some early first followers that yeah. they are happy to sit down um, in front of a group of their peers and say, this company has changed the way we do business. And all 10 of those peers will listen and hear from it. And I think yeah. those are those moments that you're really hoping for with the first followers. So how, but how do you capture that? How do you, how do you turn that into growth? Yeah. I mean, I would say, so I, I think the nature of a first follower is that they are also evangelists, like by, by design, the people who want to come early are the people who want, cause they want, uh, they want credit for being first followers. They're the people who want to find a new hipster band before their friends do. And so when they want to find it, then they want to tell everybody about it so they can get credit for it. So that's why this works is if you have a super clear starting point into like intervention model or results mechanism and end point, then you just sort of, I think, wait for those natural opportunities for them to tell the story to arise. And you're going to get word of mouth that way. But then, of course, if you like, I've got so many testimonials feelgoodmc.com slash testimonials is just videos of people talking at the beginning. I never pay anybody for testimonials because I think it's super unethical. I never mandate testimonials as a part of a discount. I think it's really unethical. Yeah. I just say, Hey, I've really poured myself out to help you out. And I am wondering if I can ask you a favor. Can I talk to you for two minutes on this video? And all you got to do is tell the honest version of what we just did. And I don't think I've ever had somebody say, I'm not willing to do that. I've seen some of those. Um, they are really enthusiastic. The people who've turned it, who, who, who've, who've ended up creating those videos for you. I've seen, I've seen, it's very clear that they believe everything they're saying. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I have one, it was like a six or seven minute interview and it was so popular. And we did another one with him a year later. We just re-recorded it and he's killing it, man. Oh my gosh. He's so killing it. And his, everybody loved his first videos and it was Fred. So I made a second video like, okay, Fred, let's, what, what's happening now? And I've got screenshots of text messages and screenshots of emails because, because I'm focused. What is my job? My job is to make MSPs money. Now, am I the one that picks up the phone? No, this is the beautiful part. I can't do the work for them. Well, because then you wouldn't be sustainably making them money. That's right. And I couldn't promise that I could ever do it again. But I am helping people instill their own sense of confidence, their own process. They're making themselves money. And that's very important to me. I always tell them, like, you're the you're the one who made that close. I didn't get on the phone and close it for you. You closed that deal. And then they, of course, say, but you taught me how to close that deal. And I say, oh, thanks for the thanks. Yeah, that's true. Great. Right. So now I have really meaningful social proof because I made a bunch of people a lot of money. I mean, I could I could monologue right now with how many how much MRR we've closed, but we average 1.2 net new logos in 90 days in 2023. Ooh. That's 1.2 awesome. 1.2 net new logos, which is which is better better than the better than one. Yes, right. Most most MSPs are doing two to five a year if they're lucky, but yeah. a lot of two million dollar MSPs are doing three customers a year because the phone rang. Well, people right. need the services. I mean, that's why. Yeah, that's why no. the the industry's projected to grow. I mean, it's. I had I had two there. MSPs this year close over twenty thousand in MRR in ninety days. So, so there you go. So, um, you know, if people are really value oriented, it makes the messaging easier. Um, it makes it makes um. It makes those first followers more likely to turn into uh, mouthpieces, right? Yes. Um, and then, and then what? You, uh, I mean, do you do you treat second followers, third followers differently, or is it more? Like um, yes, and no. It's a great question. The method to reach them is very similar, but I think that the message can change. 
So now the message at the beginning was, hey, let me prove this thing to you. You want to show up and let's try this thing together. The message now is, hey, I'd like to tell you how I make MSPs 1.2 net new logos in 90 days. Because now my value is not abstract. Now my value can be a little bit more tangible. To the, so the message itself can change. Because as I said, the average person wants, that's why it's like, go to dropbox.com or any of it. And they're like, 200,000 companies use us. And then you go, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to question what cloud they're in or if they're secure now because, because I'm a sheep and I want to be where all the sheep are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, now, that's the sort of human nature is the social proof yeah. to us is a really important thing. So now I've got social proof. Of course, the social proof is now going to be the vehicle for my value. Here's another piece to that to kind of soften it. The the sheep are where it's safe. Exactly. That's okay. It's okay that's to right. be, want to be where it's safe. That's totally fine. That's right. Because there's a shepherd that's keeping all the wolves away. Like, yep. all right, Dropbox is going to make sure I don't lose any data. I'm just making up a random company we all know, right? Um, insert whatever. They're going to make sure that we can achieve what we want to achieve. And then we can focus on ourselves. And that's the whole point. But there's super, super clear value there. So the, the medium doesn't change. Like I don't cold call anymore because I don't have time. But I honestly, if I wasn't a CEO, I would totally still cold call. Uh, I would do the same thing that I did at the beginning. But now I have content and people come to me. But I'm hiring an account executive next year. This is exactly what they're going to do. They're going to do exactly that, invite people to workshops, invite people to webinars, whatever. Ask people if they want a free ebook or sing for our supper a little bit. But it's usually going to be around the proof that we've been able to get from our first followers. And that, in my mind, is the, the beauty of having first followers who succeed is now I've got built-in proof that can add legitimacy to the brand and help you be agile and contrarian and disruptive even early on. You don't need 25 years experience. You know what I mean? So uh, it's, it's, it sounds like um, it's really important to capture that the the impressions of those first followers right it's everything yeah it's everything so if you've got 10 customers right now and you're going oh man these people are a pain in the thorn in my side i just whatever whatever i would consider asking yourself um or consider adjusting your perspective these people might be the disciples that immortalize you if you can actually help them. So ask yourself, what do they need? How can I give it to them? Can we agree on super clear terms of what success is in this relationship? And that way, nobody gets to tell me I didn't do it. Right? And nobody gets to say I didn't do it well enough because it's objective. Well, Brian, I, I'm, I always love hearing people's business stories. Um, I, it's, uh, it's inspiring for me. Uh, I, I, always, I always hear... Oh yeah, I did that too. And oh yeah, I forgot that, that, you know, there's, there's always, there's always these moments in a story like that where I realize, oh, I could have done that better. Taking notes on the side. This person had the same problem I had. Yeah. Um, so thank you for, for coming in here and sharing. Um, yeah, absolutely. For it's sure. Awesome. Thanks any, for having me. Any last thoughts before we. Yeah. Well, you got a plug. You got to Oh, I should. What should I plug? Let's see. What day is it? It's the 22nd. Yeah. You know, uh, my plug is if you are ready to get new customers, even if you don't know how you're going to have the time to do the work, even before, if you're, you want a salesperson, but you don't know how to guarantee their success pre-hire, uh, feelgoodmsp.com. You can book a sales assessment with me. We do a 10 minute interview where I, I ask you questions about your sales environment. In that 10 minute interview, you hear how much money I would need from you, how much time I would need from you, and you all my cards are turned around. If we get to the end of that interview and it's clear we're not a good fit, you get three pieces of advice of what I would do next, and we part ways. Otherwise, you can hear about consulting. what's worst that? Case, a little free consulting is the worst case for 10 That's minutes. Right. That's right. And if not, you can join the movement of how selling can start to be a feel good experience for you and for your prospects. And you never have to scare anybody again to charge whatever price you need to charge. I like that. That was great. I, I love that train. Uh, we're also 
I'm anti-FUD as well. So uh, a lot of people use fear to sell compliance and, uh, and security. And I, I think it's the wrong way. Um, yeah. Sweet. So, so uh, I'll just do our quick plug. Um, Fort Mesa helps service providers um, get their customers into right-sized cybersecurity plans. We help you on the sales workflows. Um, we help you with the service delivery workflows. And, uh, of course, we help you prove it with documentation and evidence. Um, ring us out here, Zach. All right. Um, thank you guys for joining us uh, for our first ever pre-recorded show. Oh, actually, it's our second ever because we did uh, that IT Nation. Well, I take it all back. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, happy, happy holidays and Christmases and Hanukkahs to everybody. Uh, next week, we're going to be um, celebrating New Year's um, with um, an MSP New Year's resolution for success uh, call. We're going to have... Uh, some MSPs joining us talking about what uh, what they're focused on for the coming years. We're going to talk about what we're focused on for the for the coming year. Um, it'll be a great call. So make sure to join us next week. Thank you guys for coming in today and have a great one. Bye, everybody. 